This sermon is brought to you by Shofar East London. Together, living out the fullness of Christ. We hope you enjoy this message. So this morning we're going to speak a little bit about fellowship and the gospel being the foundation of fellowship. Now, as I said this morning as well, whenever we need, want to understand the message of the gospel and also communicate the message of the gospel to those around us, we have to understand the four aspects or four parts of the gospel. The first one is problem. There is a people problem. If there weren't a problem, then there would have been no need for the gospel. The gospel is good news in light of the problem we have as humans. And the problem is that all of us without Christ is dead in sin, led by the devil, and destined for the wrath and judgment of God. Quite a severe problem. That is the problem, and we have to acknowledge that. If we don't understand the problem and that we either had or have the problem, we're not going to respond well to the message of the gospel. The second part of the gospel is solution. Jesus Christ himself offering a solution for the problem we have as humans coming to die in our place, and also living a perfect life in our place. See, the beautiful thing about the gospel is that not only does the blood of Christ wash us clean, but his perfect life of obedience adds righteousness to our lives. Like scripture says, by one man's disobedience, many became sinful. So by one man's obedience, many became righteous. Amen? That is the solution. But there's where the Western culture's gospel stops. Hey, there was a problem, there is a solution, must be sorted now. That's not the case. Scripture says we need to respond to the message of the gospel. And the Spirit enables us to respond to the message of the gospel. And how do we do that? By denying ourselves, taking up our cross and following Christ. Confessing our sins, being baptized and receiving the gift of the Holy Spirit. That is how we respond well and that's enabled by the power of the Holy Spirit. Nobody can say Jesus is Lord except by. The Holy Spirit. And when we respond as we should, then we get restored to where we ought to be. And that's the will of the Father. That's the effect, the fourth part. And good things start to flow from our lives again. Good works, good fruit. As God comes and applies this work in our lives. And the bad news is that it doesn't only happen once. But the good news is it can happen in every area of our life. Amen. I mean, it would have been great if it was only an initial response that was needed. Only responding once to the message of the gospel and then God comes, boom, perfect. Face shining again, life flourishing again, relationships just working as they should. Children stop crying all of a sudden. Lovely. You know, I wonder if sin didn't enter the world, if if children wouldn't cry or wouldn't it irritate us that much. Which one would it be? Because they have to say something, you know, they just start talking Instead of crying, you have to figure out what the problem is. But that's not the case. In every area of life, after we come to salvation, we still have people problems. And the gospel still provides solutions. And the Spirit still enables us to respond well, to restore us again to the will of the Father in every area of life. The whole of the New Testament is addressed to Christians that still have some people problems. And scripture highlights the gospel solutions and shows us how the spirit enables us to respond well so that we can again walk in the will of the Father. And the same is true of fellowship. You see, it's not just going to happen and be fixed automatically. One of the strange things is if I say the 
following three words, what comes to mind? Church, Christian, Christianity. And hopefully for us sitting here this morning, what comes to mind is, man, a group of people that I love and cherish. And I cannot imagine life without them. Security, provision, support, and love comes to mind. And while you say the same thing to a different group of people, they'll think, man, hypocrites, hurt, selfishness. If I never have to deal with them again, I'll be fine. How is that possible? Such a vast amount of emotion, so different from one another. You see, the problem is twofold. That many times we seek the right thing in the wrong places. Unfortunately, not every building with a cross on is a church. Unfortunately, not everybody that wears the I follow Jesus t-shirt is a Christian. Unfortunately. Not every place that sings a couple of songs and someone stands with the mic in front is a church. It's not necessarily the case. But a group of redeemed people filled by the Spirit that follows Jesus above everything else and obeys Scripture above all else. That's the church. And many times there was stuff done in the name of Christianity that wasn't very Christ-like and people get offended with church. There's a company in Secunda, many people are a little bit mad at them. Sassel, they produce petrol. Petrol with some gold in at the moment. But more expensive than the old stuff. But it would be like me stealing a Sassel bucky, driving through town, running over a couple of people, driving into cars and then driving away. People's like, hey, look at what Sassel does. It's just someone in a Sassel bucky. Many times the same thing happens to Christianity and the church. And we don't judge stuff by the misuse of it. Scripture has been misused. People have used it out of context and to manipulate. And our conclusion is, okay, we'll stop reading Scripture now. No, we don't think that way. But we tend to do it with church. So seeking the right thing in the wrong place. But the opposite is also true. Sometimes we seek the wrong thing in the right place. We are in a group of people that earnestly wants to follow Christ. Yes, broken. Yes, sinful. Yes, now and then getting stuff wrong. But our idea of fellowship is wrong. And then we get hurt as well. Because we expect something that we're not supposed to expect. Fellowship doesn't always maybe look how we think it's going to look. And we're going to read through a passage of Scripture now that explains this beautifully, the things that we need to grasp if we want to have deep and meaningful fellowship with one another, the way God intends it to be. And we're going to read a passage of Scripture in 1 John 1 from verse 3 to 10. And as we read through it, I want us to focus on two things. The first is a purpose statement. Whenever you read in Scripture, so that, that is a purpose statement. Jesus came so that we might have life, so that we might be forgiven. Purpose statement. And John is saying the reason that he's writing for us is so that we might have fellowship with one another. And indeed, our fellowship is with the Father and His Son, Jesus Christ. And also the incredible connection there. There is no relationship with God and without His people. To say I'm an individualistic or individual Christian is a contradiction in of itself. Because Christians should be known for love and their love for one another. We love one another, care for one another, bear one another's burdens. Christianity is a one another thing. Let us think. Because of Christ, let us. And then the second thing John says is, so that your joy may be filled. Experiencing this fellowship with God and his people is going to lead to a joy that is full. And then he makes a couple of conditional statements, five of them, from verse 6 to 10. A conditional statement starting with if, meaning that it's not automatic. 
It's not there was a problem, there is a solution, and boom, everybody's just fixed. No, we need to respond well. And three of the statements is negative. We don't want to respond that way, and two are positive. So let's read together and see what we can learn. 1 John 1, from verse 3 to 10. That which we have seen and heard, we proclaim also to you. Speaking about the words and works of Jesus, what he came and did on earth, his ministry. So that you too may have fellowship with us. And indeed, our fellowship is with the Father and with His Son, Jesus Christ. And we are writing these things so that your joy may be full. This is the message we've heard from Him and proclaim to you, that God is light, and in Him is no darkness at all. If we say we have fellowship with Him while we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as He is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves. And the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. Strong words from John there at the end. And one thing we need to note is that whenever scripture makes a purpose statement, so that you might have joy, so that you might have peace, so that you might have forgiveness or life. It means that we don't have that. If Scripture says Jesus came so that you can be forgiven and so that you might have life, it means we need forgiveness and we don't have life. And what John is saying is that humanity in general struggles with fellowship. We struggle to connect deeply and meaningfully with one another. And if left to ourselves and if we add no intentionality, when we come together, we will most likely pretend. And that is the truth of the world around us. People struggling to be real with one another. People struggling to connect deeply and meaningfully. And because we struggle to do that with God and one another, we don't have joy. We don't have peace. We don't live a type of life that we're supposed to live. We don't have the things that we're supposed to have. And while that is the fruit of something, the root of it is what? Sin. That is what sin distorted. And we trace it all the way back to the garden. Before sin entered, the man and his wife were both naked and felt no shame. And naked in every sense, not just physical, but spiritual, emotional. This is what I'm thinking. This is what I'm feeling. This is what I'm busy with. This is all of me as I am given to you. Beautiful. Same so with God. Walked in the cool of the day. Amazing relationship. And then sin entered. And what do we do? Hide from God and cover ourselves with leaves. Relationship distorted. Instead of being real with one another, now there's the tendency to pull away. To cover ourselves. To not be real. The effect of sin. And that leads to a joy not being full. There's something that we should experience in this relationship that we don't have. Towards God and towards one another. You see, even in the midst of the gospel account of everything being good, good and very good in Genesis 2. What was the one thing that was not good? It's not good for man to be alone. Not good. Created for fellowship. In the presence of God, for the presence of God. And also community with those around us. That's how we were created. And some people tend to shy away from that or to, to try and deny that. But it's actually funny when they do that. I don't know if you've ever seen a Facebook post saying the following. A lion doesn't concern himself with the opinion of sheep. 
And then you're wondering, funny place for the lion to post that. I just want you to know I don't care if you know that you know now. Interesting. Compensation, saying something, you know, trying to push away from it, but the deep longing is still evident. It's there. Or posting on Facebook, you know, that if you have a healthy relationship, then you don't have to post that on Facebook, but you post that on Facebook. Strange. Because there's deception and people trying to push away from it, but the need for it is inevitable. Even the introvert sitting here this morning. Now my wife, she's a bit of an introvert. I'm an extrovert, so I just love people. I always want to connect with them. And then many times she just says, please don't leave me. When we go to place, because I'll introduce her and then I'll go. I just think that she'll, she's going to connect now well with them. But she struggles, you know, to press into community. But afterwards, you know, sometimes she'll tell me when people come over for coffee or whenever we're going to a small group or whatever. So it's actually me a full It's not nice trying to shy away from it. But afterwards, she's many times more encouraged than I am. Because regardless of how you feel, you were made for community. And some will be, have to be more intentional to press him, but the outcome will still be the same. It's where you'll be built up. It's where you'll be encouraged. It's where you'll experience a certain joy that is only found there, regardless of who you are. See, but we have to understand this as sin enters into the world, breaking down fellowship. And we have to understand what sin is and what sin does, because if we don't, we'll struggle with fellowship. Because it's something that we all struggle with. You see, in my life, and we many times have this in the church, that our view of sin and our view of sin in the lives of people are distorted, and so we struggle with fellowship. We many times think that you know, a certain group of people is good and a certain group of people is bad. Learning that from the world around us. Scripture says there's no such thing as good people, eh? apart from Christ. And we many times say that, you know, that, oh, they're not following God as they should, you know, and they're maybe not reading their Bibles or whatever the case might be, but at least they're good people. And we say stuff like that. When people tell their testimonies, like my testimony, in a school, well, when you look back at it, you know, we all have a void. We're all disconnected from God. We're disconnected from one another. As this passage says, we need that fellowship. And we'll search in many different places for this. And my testimony is I searched in the places of sex, drugs, and rock and roll. You know, that kind of testimony. From a young age, you know, living in Sukunda, even in, in primary school, you had to fight, you know, to be the tough guy. And I was always so scared. But I needed to do that because I said to myself, man, if I can only be the cool guy, then people will accept me and it will fill this void. Maybe that will add this joy that I need. And that was primary school. And taking that same mentality to high school... Changes the scene completely. Now relationships has to get physical. You need to start abusing alcohol. Quickly fell into drug addiction by the age of 16. Trying to fill this void. The things around me. After school, you know, just got with cat, cocaine, ecstasy, MDMA. They, the stuff that we could find, we'll use that. And then all of a sudden, God comes into my life through a strange American guy called Landon. Led me to Christ and all of a sudden delivered from drugs. No withdrawal symptoms. No relapse. Yeah, I may. Praise God. Praise God. The greatest struggle, pornography. More so than drugs. And let, let that sink in as well this morning. 
a greater struggle. And for that, needed to pray accountability groups of the people in church to walk a road of deliverance and to get free from this. But, you know, many times as I tell people that story in light of fellowship, you know, you know what people would say? Man, God really needed to save you. You were really far from God. And my wife, on the other hand, you know, she studied well and was busy heading off to, you know, great studies after school. The only thing that they thought was wrong with, with her is her boyfriend that was me. Now you have to get rid of this guy. You're a good person and, you know, this is a bad guy. But the truth is we both needed to be saved. Amen. You see, and when I tell my testimony, when we speak about that, or when we say stuff like that in church, you know, that he was really far from God. Oh, man, God really needed to save that person. I mean, as you're sitting here this morning, think to yourself, do you think certain people are more difficult to save than others? Do you think that? Because the moment we think that, we think that we added a little something to our salvation. We think we were not that far from God. We weren't really dead in sin. I mean, we just had a little bit of cold to have sinned. Only needed some vitamins, not the gospel. No pun intended. But we think that sometimes. And because we have a wrong view of this, we struggle with fellowship. The one guy actually told me, you know, when, when I told him my testimony, you needed to turn 180 degrees. I only needed to turn 90. I was almost there. And many times we think that way. Judging sin by how it manifests in people's lives. Only looking at the root of it. Important for us to understand. Because look at what John says in light of this and in light of community. Verse 8 and verse 10, surrounded by that beautiful verse 9. It says, if we say we have no sin, present tense, we deceive ourselves. And the truth is not in us. So as we are sitting here today, regardless of how long you've been following Christ or when you surrendered to Christ first, how many gifts of fruit flowing through your life? You still have sin, nonetheless. All of us sitting there. And if we say we don't, we are not deceiving God and we are not deceiving those around us. The only person deceived is ourselves. Amen. So regardless of how long we've been following God, we are in constant need of grace and forgiveness. Yes, walking a road of sanctification, but still sinful nonetheless. And just to maybe distinguish this, because this is not saying that we are going to continuously live a lifestyle of sin. This just still means that we still struggle with sin. See, the same book, chapter 3, says that whoever makes a practice of sin, that person hasn't seen God, neither does he know God. Because if he's seen God, he'd fear for his life. And if he knows God, the grace of God will enable him to not practice sin constantly. You see, we stumble... In many different ways. But if we stumble in the same way many times. Then we start to have to ask a question. Whether we really know God. If there's no willingness to get free from that thing. So we don't practice sin. Willfully and intentionally. But we still struggle with sin. Nonetheless. And it's important for us to understand. And then verse 9. If we confess our sins. He's faithful and just to forgive us our sins. And to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say we have not sinned, past tense, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. So John is saying we have to understand this, that we all needed to be saved and we all still need grace and forgiveness today. And I have to ask us as we are sitting here this morning, when was the day that you became saved? 
When was the day that you originally surrendered to God? When was the day that you became born again? Has that happened? Because nobody's born a Christian. That doesn't happen. Regardless of the house that you grew up in. Like Billy Sunday says, growing up in church doesn't make you a Christian any more than standing in your garage making you a car. Doesn't work that way. Jesus says to Nicodemus in John 3, and he's the teacher of Israel at the time. Surely I say to you, unless you are born again, you cannot see or enter the kingdom of God. Something needs to shift. Do you have the Holy Spirit? Romans 8 verse 9 says that all who don't have the Spirit of God do not belong to God. And verse 14, all who are led by the Spirit of God, they are the sons of God. So do you experience the leading of the Holy Spirit in your life? Do you have the Holy Spirit? Modern day Christianity says that if you are a Christian, you can assume you have the Spirit. Scripture says if you have the Spirit, you can assume you are a Christian. It works differently. Do you have the Spirit of God? Because we all had the same problem of sin. Beautifully explained in Ephesians 2, verse 1 to 3. You can read it on your own. It says, We all were dead in our sins and the trespasses in which we once walked. Following the cause of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience. Following the passion of the flesh and the mind and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. That's the problem. Dead in sin, led by the devil, destined for the wrath of God. All were born in that. Nobody was born saved. In some way we need to respond to the gospel. Has that happened in your life? And in light of those who have been following God for a long time, how often do you still break before God because of your need of forgiveness and grace? How regularly does that happen? Or do you think that you are without sin now? See, walking in the light doesn't mean you live a perfect life. It just means you live a transparent life. But we all still struggle, nonetheless. I tell my wife, I would love to start a morning in the presence of God without the words, Lord, forgive. Lord, have grace. But if I'm honest with myself, I'll need that every single morning. And hopefully a little bit more like Christ every day, but still struggling nonetheless. See, God came and he delivered us from the penalty of sin by the death of Jesus. He's busy releasing us from the power of sin. But only one day when he comes back will he relieve us from the presence of sin. And not only are we affected by the sin around us, it's not only out there, it's in here. I produce it sometimes, unfortunately, as well. It takes us to the first point this morning. The foundation of fellowship. We all have the same problem. And it might manifest differently in each and every one of our lives, but the core of it is still the same. So that's why we say we tend to judge the fruit of sin, you know, in my life, drug addiction, sexual immorality, now, even the secular people would say, that man needs help. If there is a God, then he must save this guy. But the same thing can manifest like in my brother's life. He pursued a business career. Age of 16, started his own business, but everything filled by selfishness and trying to fill a void. And the one looks a little bit better in the eyes of society, but both at the core is the same thing. See, A.W. Tozer says, man no longer has peace in his heart because God is enthroned there no longer. That's the problem. God is not king. 
manifest differently, but that's the call. Jonathan Edwards says that the only thing we add to our salvation is the sin that made it necessary. But we add nothing else, none of us. And we need to understand this because the person that doesn't understand this will always think he's superior in light of fellowship. I think I'm better than, so I expect more from them than they can give. And we see a beautiful example of this in Luke 7, verse 36 to 50. story we're all familiar with. Jesus walking into a Pharisee's house, reclining at table, and as they're busy communing with one another, in comes this sinful woman, falling at Jesus' feet wetting his feet with her tears and wiping them with her hair. And the man thinks to himself, man, if Jesus knew what type of woman this was, he would have not allowed her to touch him. And Jesus is thinking, if you knew what type of man you were, you would have done the same. You would have not sit there with your pride and your arrogance looking down at this woman, but you would have also broken at the feet of Christ. And Jesus says, a money lender lent money to these two people, 500 to the one, 500,000 to the other, which loves him more when he forgave both debts. And the Pharisee says, the one with the greater debt forgiven. And Jesus says, you are right. Look at this woman. She's been forgiven much. Therefore, she loves much. And he's not saying that the woman has more sin than the Pharisee. He's saying the Pharisee doesn't understand the weight of his sin. You see, when we don't understand the problem of sin in our lives, we will respond shallowly to the gospel and we won't love Christ as we ought to and we will struggle with relating to one another as we should as well. Always thinking we're better than. But the opposite is also true. When we understand the problem but we don't realize the solution, we always feel inferior. These group of joyous holy people, man, I have to sort myself out before I can have a relationship with them. And John addresses that in this passage as well. Verse 6 and 7. Verse 6 is the person that doesn't understand fellowship. Pretends. Verse 7 is the person that understands it well, understands the problem and the solution. It says in verse 6, If we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. An interesting note there, not don't know the truth or doesn't believe the truth. Don't practice the truth. Because truth is not primarily something to understand. It's something to live out. Primarily someone to follow. Jesus. Amen. But doesn't practice the truth. What does walking in darkness mean? John 3.19 says the people love the darkness rather than the light because their works were evil. It's pretense. I don't want to be real because the things that I actually think and I'm busy with, I don't want that to be exposed. It's not good things. So I withdraw myself from fellowship. Not walking in the light as I should. Not being real as I should. And we have to be aware this morning that the world is teaching us to think this way. To pretend that we don't have a problem or to go and sort out the problem on our own. Greatest lies of the enemy. The whole of social media is based on that principle. You don't post the bad stuff. That's not going to get a lot of likes. And many times it's such a great measure of pretense that eventually you know, this couple announces that they're going to get a divorce. And you're like, what? How's that possible? If I look at their Facebook feed the last couple of months, I would have not said this at all. It seemed so happy. seemed so nice. I'm not saying post all of your stuff on Facebook. But bring it to one another. Be real with one another. And I mean my wife, when we have friction, it's always before church or small group for some other reason. I don't know why we don't fight on Tuesdays or Thursdays, but Wednesdays and Sundays seems to be the friction days. 
And the good thing is there's a, a little town just opposite Sukkun. It's not very far, Trichard. And one of our small group members live there. So sometimes we have small group at their house so we can reconcile more of the issues on the drive there than when small groups at our house. But sometimes it's at our house and we are mid-fight. And when the small group enters, I just tell them, listen, if you're wondering why she doesn't call me Leafy today, it's because we're busy fighting. <laughs> we're in the middle of it, you know, pray a little bit for us. And usually at the end of a small group, there's a lot of the tension relief because God comes and works and both receive grace and forgiveness and then we can extend grace and forgiveness. Amen. But we can be real with one another. That's what verse 7 is speaking about. If we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus' son cleanses us from all sin. And why does living in the light lead to the forgiveness of sin? Because it's a confession of sin. That's what living in the light means. It doesn't mean you're perfect. It means you're transparent. This is the real me. This is the real us. And we're going through real stuff. And as we walk in the light and confess it to God and one another, deliverance comes. Freedom comes. Forgiveness comes. You see, the person in verse 6 says, that pretend that you don't have a problem or go and sort it out on your own. The person in verse 7 says, you cannot and you don't have to. Not only do we have the same problem, but none of us has the capacity to deal with it on our own. We need Christ and his people. That takes us to the second point. We all have the same Savior. We all have the same problem, but we all have the same Savior. See, worldly friendship and fellowship is built upon a group of people finding a common goal or like. Godly fellowship is built upon a holy God finding a people for himself, redeeming a people for himself, bringing a group of people together for himself, pouring out his spirit upon us. Be eager to maintain the unity in the spirit and the bond of peace. Amen. I mean, look around you. Where on earth would we have come together willingly? If not for Christ. If you are not here willingly, please come and speak to me afterwards. If someone forced you to be here. Because we need more people who forces people to come. I'm just making a joke. <laughs> we don't need more of that. But willingly, here we are. Strange group of people with different likes and outlooks on life. Brought together by a holy God. And through one another we experience redemption, encouragement, forgiveness, sanctification and healing. God works through his body. There's no such thing as individual Christianity. Now you can imagine one of the Israelites as they're walking out of Egypt with the Exodus getting offense. And he's just, okay, you go through the Red Sea. I'll stay here and I'll ask God to open it for me and my family alone. Not going to happen. It's not going to happen. He opens the sea for his people that are not together in unity and pursuing him in faith. Amen. Necessary. And some of us have to realize something this morning. The encouragement that you need, the restoration that you need, the redemption that you need, the support that you need, your pride is keeping it away from you. Nothing else. Your pride is keeping it away from you. Because you don't say, people don't know. And many times we think to ourselves, now I'm going to deal with it on my own. You know, when the altar call comes and the heart is pounding, I'll just go and pray on my own at home. But Paul says, and he writes to the Corinthians in 1 Corinthians 5, dealing with sexual immorality in the church. And he says in verse 4, when you come together in the name of Jesus, the power of Jesus is there. The same anointing that rests here doesn't necessarily rest at your house. 
We have to acknowledge that. And Jesus says, where two or three are gathered in my name, there I am present with them. And we know God is always with us, so why did he say that? Because he's present in a special way. When his people come together as the temple where God's presence dwells. Amen. And then powerful stuff happens. But because we're unwilling to share, we don't experience the redemption that we need, the healing that we need, the encouragement that we need. And not only are we withholding ourselves from growth, we are withholding the church from being the church. It doesn't matter what the need is, whether it's physical, spiritual, financial, emotional. If you don't share, you're not withholding yourself from growth only, but also someone from being who they should be in the church. We appointed a new pastor's couple two months back. Henning is very good with counseling. I said, no, me and my wife have a personal counselor now. That helps a lot. The, the healthier we are, the better we can minister to the whole church. So if we take up more of Henning's time, then the congregation, they must understand. But if me and my wife have friction and we struggle to sort something out and we don't go to them with also withholding them from being who they call to be in the church. So whatever the need is, let the body of Christ know. Because God has given us what we need to follow him. Amen. Don't allow pride to keep you from what God wants to come and do in your life through those around you. And inevitably when we have this and we know this, that we have the same problem and we have the same savior, it also knits us together with the same mission. Look at what John says in verse 3 to 5. That which we have seen and heard we proclaim also to you. We cannot keep silent so that you too might have fellowship with us. And indeed our fellowship is with the Father and with His Son Jesus Christ. And we know that there's a world out there that doesn't know what the presence of God feels like. There's a world out there going through this financial crisis, going through COVID, that doesn't know what the support of Christian community and fellowship looks like. They don't know what it is for someone to put their hands on you and pray for you so that God will carry you through. They don't know what it feels like for someone to rock up at your house with food because they're knowing you're going through a difficult time. They don't know that. They don't know what it feels like. Many times at worship, as we experience the tangible presence of God, I'm thinking to myself, man, God, how amazing. But I'm also aware that there's people out there that don't know what this feels like. They don't know that. And then John says, and we are writing these things so that your joy may be full. The whole world out there trying to convince themselves that they are actually okay. Have you seen those posts on Facebook? Man. My heart breaks. I'm like, you, you can. You don't have to pretend it's actually really available in Christ. There is real peace. There's real joy. There's real life if you're willing to surrender to God. But first you have to acknowledge that it isn't that way. So that God can come and work. And this is the message we heard from him and proclaimed to you. That God is light and in him there is no darkness at all. That is the mission. To constantly remind ourselves of that. That God is good. And although we have a problem, he is the solution. And also to go and tell the world out there that they have a problem, but there also is a solution found in Christ. Amen? That takes us to the third point. We all have the same mission. We all have the same mission. Now, in light of these three points, I have to ask us the question this morning, that if you know this, if you understand this and you take this to heart, and someone offends or wrongs you in church, what do you do? You go to them. Extend grace and forgiveness and you move on. It's as simple as that. 
Because I didn't expect a perfect people to be perfect towards me because that's not what fellowship's built on. It's as easy as that. If someone offends me, if someone wrongs me, if I know I, I wronged someone else, we go to one another, extend grace and forgiveness, and we move on. You see, Hebrews 5 speaks about the, old, the, the high priest in the Old Testament and explains why he could have grace with the people around him. In verse 2 it says, He could deal gently with the wayward and the ignorant because he himself is beset with weakness. You see, before the high priest could offer the sacrifices for the nation's sin, he first had to offer a sacrifice for his own sin. And when we are constantly aware of our need of grace and forgiveness from God, we extend it easily to those around us. Amen. There's a couple of relationships where a husband or a wife thinks that they are not in need of grace and forgiveness and therefore they can't extend grace and forgiveness. Influences all relationships. You see, but if you are not aware that you also fall short and someone offends you or they wrong you, you go and look for a perfect community because you think you are perfect and you won't find it. Like Seed Spurgeon told the one man that also said, no, you were broken, church. I'm going to go find a perfect one. And he told the man, well, if you find it, please don't join because you're going to mess that place up. <laughs> and the same is true for all of us. Sitting, you know, If we discover the perfect church, we also shouldn't join because man will mess that place up. But a broken church, a broken group of people following a holy God, yes, that we can do. And another thing that we have to just acknowledge this morning, who have ever heard the following phrase? No, that church, they're full of cliques. Anybody ever heard that? Cliques, man, these just little groups of people coming together and they're just talking to themselves and I don't know how to enter. If a group of people understands this and gather week after week after week, connecting deeply and meaningfully, wouldn't it be weird if they didn't click? It would be weird. Inevitably, they're going to click. I click with my small group. Man, when I see them, I go to them, you know, running past other people. How's it going with you? You know, that thing that we've been praying about, how's it? But the good news is the click is open. You can join a click. And then we can click together. We call them live groups. So come and click together. We might click out of sync for a little while, but then we'll align well. And you're not going to be family the first day. You're going to be strangers. And after a couple of weeks, friends, and after a couple of months, family. And after a year, you'll think to yourself, how did I do life without these group of people? Amen. Thank you for listening. Find more on Shofar East London's podcast channel. Let's do life together.